the, the stimulus is so excessive. It all comes from the idea that creating money creates wealth. Everybody thinks they're getting a benefit, and on the short run, many do. But on the long run, a lot of people suffer. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Silver Bullion Television, SBTV. I'm your host, Patrick Vieira. As always, if you are new to our channel or if you haven't already done so, please do subscribe, hit the bell to be notified of new updates, and give us a thumbs up if you like what we do. We truly do appreciate your support. Today, we have with us a very special guest. He's an American author, a U.S. Air Force flight surgeon, physician, congressman, and retired politician are some of the many things this gentleman has achieved and done. Adding to that, he is an advocate for liberty and for sound money. This description should already give you an idea of who it is. Having said that, it's time to saddle up and silver up for Dr. Ron Paul. Dr. Paul, welcome to SBTV. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Nice to be with you. Nice to have you here, Dr. Paul. And again, we appreciate your lifetime of, of service and, and what you have done. Uh, you know, Dr. Paul, you've been an advocate for sound money. Can you define what sound money is? And in your experiences, why is it that bills that come before Congress calling for sound money just never seem to get any support? <laughs> it's because there's a lot of people who benefit from having unsound money. And so it's the motivation to keep that system going because that's how the special interests uh, depend on it and benefit from it. And it's broad, it's huge on the number of people. So as long as they can keep that funny money system going, they don't have to earn their money or earn their wealth. It's provided uh, by governments, government of appropriations that you can run up debt and debt, the, the deficits don't matter. And then they monetize it. And then you have a Federal Reserve that just, you know, prints the money as they need it. And they have to cheat and steal because they're devaluing the money and they have to uh, debase the currency. And that that is an advantage to everybody who has their hands out. You know, the welfare state, I talk about both all the time, because uh, if anybody complains about, oh, we have too much welfare or we're fighting too many wars, you got to get rid of the Fed because uh, that's how it's financed. It's not financed through uh, taxation, direct taxation. It's through the tax of inflation. And it's worse than it's ever been. And I've followed this very, very closely for a long time, especially since the Bretton Woods broke down in 1971. But there's been nothing like this, even in history, I don't believe, where they take interest rates down to zero, spend endlessly. Nobody can even count the number of trillions of dollars that uh, have been produced in the last, last year, both by appropriations as well as from the Federal Reserve. So it's, it's a system that uh, really bows to a lot of people get the benefit. Not only is it the, the welfareist, but there's the corporate welfareist and there's the, uh, the banking system benefits. And there's also this international organization. And it's a world worldwide uh, program of, um, of um, trying to maintain a dollar standard because uh, it's a tremendous benefit to us, but the people who take it, uh, it's a benefit to them too, because uh, we sort of take care of them one way or the other. And uh, that's how the process continues. But the way I see it, it's all gonna come to end because it's, it's not a sound system. It's uh, not sound money. So the, the lack of a sound system and a sound economic and political system is a consequence 
I think very much in the ability of the Federal Reserve and the people to accept a, a system of uh, unsound money and not even concerned about defining what sound money is all about. Yeah, we'll get into that definition shortly. But, you know, today we see Janet Yellen as the new Treasury Secretary, and Yellen is going to try to light a fire to get that velocity of money going. What do you think about the money printing going on and the stimulus going on? Well, I look at it and say, I don't know, thinking that this is going to continue because it's going to end badly and uh, is so excessive. Uh, and the stimulus... Uh, the stimulus is, uh, it, it, it all comes from the idea that creating money creates wealth. You know, if the Fed's uh, down or Congress is down there and they send everybody $1,400, oh no, that's not enough. Somebody wants it. Well, maybe it ought to be just uh, $900. Oh no, we went $3,000. And so it goes on and on. What are we going to do with the student loans? Just reverse it, wipe it off the books. And, and, they, and they do this and they, they never really think about what, what the significance is, but it's absolutely, totally out of control. The founders knew that this was a dangerous thing to happen. That's why they wrote in the Constitution after their experience with the continental money is that governments, uh, our government was supposed to only be able to mint gold and silver as money and define the unit of account. But uh, that, that didn't last too long. And and now it's just a matter of serving the special interest. But everybody thinks they're getting a benefit. And on the short run, many do. But on the long run, a lot of people suffer. In some countries, everybody suffers except the handful of politicians who can, uh, uh, you know, escape, escape the system. In a place like Venezuela or Zimbabwe, where runaway inflation has occurred. But that, that should be the biggest concern. But, but people know, everybody say, we need just more money. They don't, they don't say we need more value to the dollar. We just need more money. You know, they, yeah. they, don't, they, they don't want to worry about that because uh, they don't realize if a dollar's worth a dime, probably value in the dollar. But they, they haven't grasped that because of our educational system. You know, Dr. Paul, President John F. Kennedy seemingly did not like the dollar being anchored to gold. He did not like the limitations the dollar redeemable by gold had where the supply of dollars are limited to the supply of gold. Kennedy felt that in a world of global trade, the dollar, the world's reserve currency, would be too limited. Why didn't Kennedy or couldn't Kennedy simply revalue gold higher, which would effectively allow more of the world's reserve currency to flow by allowing a larger monetary supply. Well, you know, I, I've read a lot about that and uh, a lot of things are said about Kennedy and he was challenging the Fed and different things. And quite frankly, I've never been convinced of all those stories. I sort of have a suspicion that he, um, he wasn't too much into that. Uh, he had advisors that had their plans and they were doing things. And I think he, he knew there were people behind the scenes that he had to satisfy. But uh, somebody told him one story, true or not, I have no idea, but he was walking into a major business meeting and uh, he leaned over to his staff. He says, tell me again, how does the Fed create money or something like that? You know, that he really didn't keep up on all that. But uh, of course, he, all presidents, eventually all politicians, I shouldn't say all, a lot of politicians see that as a restraint on power. 
And that's the reason they always end up uh, ruining the value of the currency. And that's why they hate uh, anybody who's, uh, uh, you know, wants power or anybody who believes in a libertarian society, you know, they, they want the, they want sound money that can't be created by the politician because it restrains power. Uh, and if you restrain power, then you uh, restrain the attack on liberty. Uh, but most people haven't thought that through. They, they don't know it's a liberty issue. It's an it's a issue, how am I going to pay my rent this month? How come the food prices are too high? How are we going to fight, fight the wars that we have to fight? And they go on and on, and, and they, don't, they don't look at the consequences because the one thing that has happened in a, in a relatively free society, which we've had, and a relatively stable dollar compared to many others, it's so productive. We had enough freedom, and we're still benefiting by tremendous productivity. And that, of course, keeps nominal prices down. So they don't see this as, as a monetary issue because uh, the, the greatness of a free market or a relatively free market is that it compensates for the mistakes of government spending. And the problem is it's, uh, it's addicting. Uh, because you never you never say, well, yeah, you're right about that. And that's why we should only do it for a year or so, then quit. It never happens that way. It continues and it expands. It's a dependency. It's like treating drug, uh, drug uh, or alcohol addiction. You know, you can't wean somebody off. They have to make a decision. So you can't, you can't just say, well, let's just wind it down. We're going to cut spending. Politically, it's not going to be done. So that's why I tell people when I say, well, what do we need to do to get enough votes to do A, B, C and control the spending? No, the political powers are so strong that uh, even if you had a few more votes there, it's, it's never seriously entertained. And it's very, very bipartisan. If uh, it's not like one party is for sound money and the other isn't, or one party's for war and the other one isn't, or one party is for welfare and the other one isn't. They're all for all that. And so they're very, very quiet, you know, about the structure of the Federal Reserve. Don't see, uh, you know, in the great debates, the debates for the president when they're running, they, they don't really talk about it. I did my best to get people interested in it and talking about it, but they, they don't really talk about it. And the media will not talk about it. They don't ask about it because they're all engaged in it. They're, they're all part of that conspiracy to print money and pass it out to their favorite friend. So even though they throw the crumbs to the people and you raise uh, welfare benefits and, well, things aren't doing well, they're not keeping up. What we'll do is just pass a law. We'll, we'll make sure everybody gets paid $15 an hour and I'll take care of that problem. See, they, they don't deal with the problem. All they do is, uh, you know, interfere even more. Uh, and that's why I expect, and a lot of people expect, this thing is going to get a lot worse until it becomes non-functional. And that means a dollar crisis. How do you see it being played out, this dollar crisis? Well, it, uh, it doesn't always happen the same way, but it's uh, because you don't know when people get tired of it and do something about it. But uh, basically, it's a continuation of the decrease in the standard of living of everybody. But we already see that. That's the number one problem in this country. The standard of living is going down, and it doesn't go down evenly. Wealth doesn't go up evenly. Some people get wealthier faster you know, during the inflation and the growth period. And uh, when it starts unwinding, 
some people suffer a lot more. Now, when the people argue the poor are getting poor and the rich get richer, <laughs> that, is, that is true because of, of the system, because the very wealthy and the banking industry and the, the people who run the foreign policy and the Federal Reserve, it is designed to take care of them. So when they're, the crisis it is always predictable, and the ones I think of right away, is, you know, the housing crisis and the NASDAQ bubble and uh, dot-com bubble, uh, that w- when that happens, they say, we got to bail them out, just like we did in these last, uh, well, we, we did it in the Great Recession at the beginning of this century, and we've done it here in this last year or so, is we just, we just print more money, and they believe that printing money has wealth, it's a fallacy. And as long as it's keep printing, and then more and more people are going to get poorer, and most of the time it ends up in violence. And that's why I, I say the biggest structural uh, social uh, problem we face today is the imbalance of wealth distribution. Uh, the, so the socials argue we're equal distribution, and they'll distribute it more fairly than that capitalism does. But uh, that, of course, is just a bunch of story because that, that's not what the problem is. Uh, but if they want to really help the middle class, if they really want to help the poor and rein in the wealthy, they have to do that by having a free market because the more freedom you have, the larger the middle class is. In our country, we did have the largest middle class in the history of mankind, and it was very, very wealthy, and we're still benefiting from it, but uh, it, it is cutting into it, and that's why the, uh, the conflict is getting much greater and even though they, they when, when you see the violence and the conflicts going on, it's always some other excuse, uh, unfairness, racial problems, and all this kind of stuff. And yet, at the, at the same time, the maldistribution of wealth is a natural consequence of a fake monetary system, which passes a lot of money out. But usually the rich get it first, and they pass it out and divvy it up, and some of it dribbles down. So when the far left argues that, uh, that the poor are not benefiting, they imply, they capitalize on saying, that's what free markets do. That's what sound money is. That's what the gold standard would do. That's what they said, you know, during the depression. So they use that as an excuse. So to me, it's only the most significant thing is educational system. And I think when people invest in metals, it's educational as well as financial, because uh, they have to know, uh, you, you know, why things are done, and if they if they believe that just spending more money and printing more money works, they're going to continue until it's irreversible. And right now, of course, I think we're getting very close. Uh, but the debt and the malinvestment has to be fixed. You have to liquidate it. You have to liquidate debt, and you have to get rid of the bad debt, uh, the bad investment. And that is painful if you let it happen. If the politicians would do what they do in 1921, let it go, and there's sharp depression and prices go down, and then just get out of the way, and it would be over. But that's not what happened. Or everybody has locked in on interventionism and planning and special interests and loss of conviction that freedom works, and they have to believe that it is our moral responsibility to take care of everybody and to police the world. And if we didn't do it and governments weren't there to do it, things would be much worse. And of course, it is true. Okay. 
part of that education, I guess we, we need to go back to um, when we saw President Nixon sever the redeemability of dollars to gold, albeit temporarily. Dr. Paul, when you heard this, when you saw this, what were your thoughts? Oh, yeah, because I got involved in studying astronomics uh, before that, uh, because there were a lot writing about it, and they were predicting throughout the 60s that the Bretton Woods would break down. And, there were, and then the investors came out, and that's what they were writing about. And, of course, uh, of course, they did talk about silver, but silver sort of lagged the debate, you know, on gold. So uh, they said it wouldn't last and Bretton Woods break down and people were starting to buy gold stocks. We weren't allowed to buy gold, but, uh, you know, here in this great free country that was doing pretty well, we couldn't own gold between 1933 and 1975. And finally that was reversed after it dawned on them that uh, uh, the people are sort of waking up to this. But I remember, 1971, August 15th, very, very well. It was a Sunday night and I heard Nixon came on. I listened to that speech and it really got my attention. And I really date my uh, decision to speak out about it. I said, this is insane what they're doing. I'm just gonna speak out. And that's when I started dabbling in politics. And the last thought of my mind was I'd go to Congress because I couldn't imagine anybody being interested. So I had the surprises that people did pay some attention. And that was the issue I, I more or less use being in Congress and it's still something I talk about. So it's, it's, uh, it, it was something that uh, requires uh, you know, education. The founders understood the issue of inflation and, and uh, paper money and counterfeit money and fiat money. And uh, when crisis hit, more people learn about it. That's why, although I, uh, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the investment part of it, I pay a lot of attention to it. But people who invest, they're doing two things. One, they're learning, why am I investing in this? And uh, why, uh, uh, why is it helpful? How can we preserve our, our wealth by being involved uh, in, in, uh, in, in investments in, in metals? And uh, I think people have to learn something about that. Inadvertently, they have to learn why are they doing this? And uh, so I was fascinated with that. But then it was in 1974 that I first ran for Congress. And that was when I ran into some surprises. My wife said it was foolish. What are you doing that for? And I said, I'm just going to talk. Don't worry about it. And she says, no, no, it's dangerous. I said, why, why is me talking about gold standard? She says, that's not it. She says, you're going to go out there and talk about this stuff. And you're going to tell them the truth and they're going to believe you and they're going to end up electing you. I said, no way, no way you're not going to elect me. But fortunately, I found some people out there, if they listen to the truth, and I still find that to, just, that to be the case, I still felt great about reaching a lot of young people during the presidential campaigns and campuses that were considered ultra liberal. We could get a bunch of young people coming out and, and want to hear about the Federal Reserve. But they also wanted to hear about liberty. That was the message I was delivering. You know, Dr. Paul, you wrote the case for gold back in 1982, and in it you quoted Thomas Jefferson, who said, If we determine that the dollar shall be our unit, we must then say with precision what a dollar is. And you further wrote that prior to 71, the dollar was defined as a precise weight of either silver or gold. Since 71, the dollar has had no definition, and after the gold window was closed by President Nixon, and it remained to be so some 50 years until today. 
how different would a world where the dollar is defined in gold be compared to what we have seen in past decades? Well, it, and even more than a decade. If, if that would have been their move in 1971, instead of declaring bankruptcy and stiff the people that were holding the dollars, the overseas people, they were still getting you know, cheaper money for their, their dollars that they turned in. No, if that would have been accepted and they would have accepted the gold standard, uh, which means that it would, it would not be with a Federal Reserve system, it would, their main job would be defining the unit of account and free up the rules on banking and free up the competition to compete with, even to compete with gold. So there wouldn't be a, a monopoly, there wouldn't be uh, legal tender laws. And if you had that, and it's... Uh, it would restrain the government. The government couldn't run up these deficits. You couldn't print money to monetize the debt. So government would be much, much smaller. Uh, it would be much, much richer. So the money would be going into helping people, uh, you know, accumulate wealth. And it would be uh, millions of people would have not died because uh, just think of what's happened uh, since that time. Because in my lifetime, I remember World War II, then I remember the Korea War, and I was drafted to the Vietnam War, and just think it continues on and on, and the wars in the Middle East, uh, so many, so many people have died, but so many people have been injured for lives of limbs, and, and that, that would have been greatly reduced. Uh, there would still be a lot of problems, but uh, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have war casualties. Uh, you would, have, you would be working hard at setting a standards, setting a standard for people that might say, boy, the Americans are really doing the right thing. They have a sound currency. Uh, you know, the heyday of the Swiss, uh, they're not quite there today. The heyday of the Swiss was it was very prosperous and civil libertarian oriented and very much in a gold standard. And they were sort of a model. Uh, America could have been the model and to set the example and people would, instead of us saying, we're going to spread our goodness around the world. And if you don't believe us, watch out. We'll put on sanctions on you and we're going to punish you unless you accept the of America. That's crazy. Uh, if we would have concentrated on straightening out the money system, we would have been forced to accept the fact that wealth came from work and saving. And that's the, that's the one big principle that they have, the American people haven't graphs and they don't accept that uh, capital comes from work and production and savings. But today, uh, they, they say the government has to pass out capital so people can open up their businesses again. They're all broke because of the lockdown. So we have to give them their capital back. Well, that's not capital. Capital comes from working and producing a little bit more than you consume and turn that into an investment, a savings or some type of investment. And that is what would have been honored. And I think, uh, I think America would have uh, been, uh, you know, in, in many ways, follow, follow some of the rules and things of uh, what, what Switzerland has and had. Uh, and that, that would have been so much different. So, you know, what I, why I sort of like Switzerland, when you, you know, the president of this United States is very, very important. We're king, the king, the president is the king of the world almost. But, uh, you know, in, in Switzerland, somebody told me, you know, how many Americans could say, who's the president of Switzerland? And, you know, 
it's non-issue because it's smaller government, it's local government, they live differently, but they were still able to produce and take care of themselves. And I liked it because they, they didn't get in World War I or World War II. So, and, and that's imperfect the trend that I think you could have developed uh, if we'd have gone a different direction after uh, Bretton Woods broke down. And Dr. Paul, can you share with us what made you decide to bring that silver eagle to Congress back in 2012 when you confronted Ben Bernanke about currency debasement? Do you always still carry that silver eagle with you? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I think I carried that in there because, you know, there's there's some thieves up there that I thought I'd be robbed. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, it was just uh, just to make the point uh and in the early years, it was a much bigger point because a lot of people, I remember when the, I remember, you know, in the, uh, after Bretton Woods broke down, I knew about gold, but I didn't own any gold. It was illegal. I hadn't started buying gold. And uh, I remember going to one of Jim Brownshire's first conference he had, and uh, they were able to, it wasn't an eagle. They weren't, they weren't permitted. We were probably breaking the law then because we had a Kruger rant. And the audience was much bigger than Jim expected because there were a lot more people interested in this than he ever realized. He thought he'd get 100 people together who, who had uh, shown an interest. But the room was not big enough. It was crowded. But one of the speakers, maybe it was Jim for that matter, uh, he, he brought out a Krugerrand and it was passed around. Everybody got to see it and hold it. And I thought, isn't that amazing that, that we've gotten to, to this point? So uh, that, uh, that uh, I think it's show and tell is very good about it and holding something. And that's, uh, and the, the silver eagle, I understand is probably a popular coin in, in the world right now. And, and uh, I, I really think it's a beautiful coin, uh, but I followed silver. I was a coin collector as a kid. I delivered papers and milk and saw a lot of change. You pick the change out. But that, all the coins, it was more fun. We still, the silver was still there. A nickel was a nickel. And, you know, even back then, cop, copper pennies had copper in them. And, you know, last 40 years, that, the copper's gone even from a penny. We can't even maintain a copper standard. But uh, the silver, I would pick out all that silver, and I believe that silver would change. The price of silver, I think, had to go over $1.29 uh, per, per ounce. And eventually that hit it. And I remember so clearly I, uh, Johnson, he was president when the Kennedy half dollar came out. Originally, they were silver half dollars, the old silver weight. And, uh, but everybody liked them, not because they were coins, they liked Kennedy, but they also knew about the silver too. So he said, well, and they would always, he'd send out, they, they would meet millions of them and they'd disappear, they'd disappear. And he wanted them to circulate. So I can remember Johnson say, I am going to get, so many silver Kennedy half dollars minute that they will never go out of circulation. And he did. I don't know what the numbers are, but I bet if you check back in the 60s, I'll bet there were a lot of silver, silver half dollars on with Kennedy's uh, image on there. And they always disappeared because of the law. <laughs> the law says that, uh, you know, if it goes above melt price, they're going to be melted or they will be taken out of circulation. So, uh, the uh, good money is driven out by bad money. Why, why use the good money if the bad money is available to it? So transition, I knew one doctor that would make trips uh, and uh, he, he liked a little gambling. He liked, uh, 
he, he liked to go to Las Vegas. And uh, in the 60s, he always brought a bag, brought back a bag, a thousand dollars of silver dollars, because that was the old day. I kept thinking, wouldn't that be something for people to hear what it was like to be in a bowling, in a, in a, in a gambling hall? and have somebody hit the jackpot and they would win with silver. And I, I, think, I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, but then, of course, the laws of economics uh, have, have uh, been, they eventually rules. And that's why Bretton Woods broke down, the laws of economics, because uh, he, the, uh, the, the, the money was just kept printing and it was $35 an ounce. And, and we foolishly did guarantee that because we had so much gold and we got rid of a lot of it. We probably got rid of 70% of it or a, a huge amount. And to maintain this artificial exchange rate of 35 to one, one ounce, you get 30, you get $35, you get an ounce of gold. And finally they had to cut off. And that was what Nixon did because they knew the gold, all the gold would, would be gone. But it was the market that did that. They didn't wise up and say, this isn't a good idea. Uh, it was the market that finally said that uh, uh, the gold is worth more than $35 an ounce. So the people I, I was reading in the 60s, uh, the Austrians and the uh, investment advisors back then realized this stuff is going to go up. The price is going to go up. So the incentive not to talk about it in a political way, but also uh, when able, I would, uh, you know, uh, buy the silver. But uh, I will tell a real quick story because I think time is getting late. But let me tell a real quick story about how, how I bought my first gold coin. Like I said, in the Jim Blanchard conference uh, right after the Bretton Woods, uh, we weren't allowed to own gold. But, uh, you know, a, 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 few, a few years uh, uh, for several years, you couldn't buy uh, buy uh, gold, you know, in a in, in a coin store or anywhere. So uh, I would uh, I found out that uh, some places would sell, even though it was still illegal. You could buy the uh, Mexican uh, Mexican coin, and you could call it numismatic. There was a loophole, numismatic coins you could, sell, but they had to fudge on that. The uh, coin that they made, they backdated it. And they made the Mexican 50 peso, beautiful coin. So those were the first coins I, I bought. And uh, it was pseudo legal because technically we weren't supposed to, but because they were backdated, the claim was, oh, they're numismatics coin, but they were brand new and newly minted. So those were the first coins I bought. Dr. Paul, before we wrap up, can you please tell us what you're up to? And of course, about your YouTube channel and the Ron Paul Liberty Report. Yes, I, I spend a lot of time on that. I do a live stream on Liberty Report, uh, which is ronpaullibertyreport.com, and, and, and we're on YouTube. And uh, it, we're in the, in the late Jackson, Texas, where the uh, little studio is, and we, you know, where I'm sitting right now. Uh, and we do this program, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a major project for me because I get to do what I started doing in 1974, and that is talking about the issues I thought were important, and uh, the goal wasn't to be in office. Well, I went through that period of time of, of thinking the message could be spread just by campaigning for an office and not worrying about winning or losing the office. And uh, so I'm back to doing exactly the same thing, and I will continue to do it as, if, uh, if anybody cares and wants to listen. Uh, 
I remember when I started going to the college campuses, the uh, number of people that would show up when I just went to Congress, uh, I'd, sometimes I get 15 or 20 people. Well, all I could think of is when we had uh, people come out on, on, uh, on very liberal campuses during the campaign, we used to get a lot more people than that. Okay, well, we'll see if we can get more people to you again. Dr. Paul, we appreciate the time you've given us, and um, we appreciate what you do, and we hope we can do this again sometime soon. Thank you. It's great being with you. That was Dr. Ron Paul sharing with us his insights on the economy and precious metals. To follow more of Dr. Paul's work, please visit his website, ronpaullibertyreport.com. If you like this video, please hit the like button and subscribe to the SBTV channel here on YouTube or SBTV iTunes or SBTV Spotify. 